Welcome to Cyberstar Talks podcast. This is Ayona. Today in this interview, I have invited Wolfgang Lai, Head of Information Security at Freenow, to talk about security challenges in the mobility sector. Hi, Wolfgang, and happy to have you here today. Hi, Ayona. It's a pleasure for me to be here, and nice to talk to you here. Wolfgang, you've been working in information security for almost three decades now, when uh, very few people knew about security. And uh, through your career path, you've been working for very reputable companies such as uh, Sun Microsystem and Oracle, and also have helped to build the first uh, computer incident response team in Germany. You hold an CISSP certification, contributed as author in writing the exam questions for uh, Solaris 10 security certification, and also Solaris Security Essential book. Quite an impressive professional journey. And I'm really honored to start off this uh, interview episode series with you, not just because of what you represent for the information security domain in Germany, but also for the high values that you show as a colleague, mentor, and friend. All right. So you are working in this field for such a long time. And I do believe that you made a comparison on how information security was years ago and how it looks now. Do you think our job is now becoming easier or more difficult than one or two decades ago? I would say neither way, because uh, it is changing, definitely, of course, but it is not getting easier, nor is it getting harder. And security is always a hard job, because we always have to defend against everything, and the attacker only need to find one weak spot, so they always have an advantage. But uh, if we do compare it with two decades ago or three decades ago, then we had already something like called script kiddies, which simply use out of the shelf exploits to penetrate people. And nowadays we end up with something like ransomware as a service. So we do see more professional actors on both sides. So actually we see more professional attackers and also more professionalism in the security defense time. And that also makes it easier than for our side compared to decades ago where security basically was less existent. I wouldn't say non-existent, but not on a level that we are right now. And since you now work in the mobility industry and face the ever-growing range of cybersecurity risks unfolding to the connected car industry in general, uh, what are the most prominent cybersecurity risks in mobility sector considering the marketplace business model? Uh, we need to distinguish between a lot of different sectors as we as free now offer a marketplace for a variety of solutions for mobility. It is not just one mobility solution, but a lot of different like bikes, scooters, taxis, rental cars, and so on. And each of these services have different security requirements. For example, if you take a taxi and pay in cash, then it is totally different to a rental car where you have to prove your identity. So one of the biggest challenges that we as a marketplace are facing is that we also need to support mobility solutions which do not require the verification of the customer identity. And this, this is something which is inherent to our business model. On the other side, we are in the lucky position that we do not need to offer the services itself. So we are not a mobility provider, but we are marketplace for mobility solutions. So a lot of the security issues are, in my opinion, more with the providers rather than with the uh, marketplace in between. Considering the strong implications of GDPR, 
How are you mitigating the risk of data breach in the area of dataism, where everybody is highly sensitive about data? Well, we need to have a robust security framework in the company because the underlying information security is a prerequisite to have data protection on top of that. So uh, I think GDPR itself was not that much of a big game changer than we see in the media. It certainly raised uh, visibility to security, sure. And it helped information security in such a way that you have better justification because you do have fines directly related to it. You, it is higher visible to management as information security is sometimes hard to quantify depending on the risk analysis that you're doing. So if we talk about the likelihood of something to happen, then doing real costs behind it is always an estimate. And GDPR helped there with clear numbers. Yeah, it's easier to say that the impact is 4% of the total global turnover of the company or 20 million euros, whichever is higher, rather than quantify the impact and likelihood of a security risk. Totally agreed. And on the other side, GDPR also has a different focus because GDPR is more about personal identifiable information. So it's about the PII data. So it's more user-centric. Of course, the companies dealing with the information need to ensure that they handle it in a secure manner. But at least in my experience of the last years, we also had to deal with issues which are not breaches on our company part or not nothing that we can actually uh, prevent. But for example, if a user A does provide the password, his password to user B, and user B is then using the service unauthorized, then what should we do? And basically this for us is nevertheless under GDPR, an account breach and we have to report it. And therefore we have to distinguish between breaches for a company or breaches on an individual where someone else is accessing the information. And we also have to handle the second part of it. So even on the user base, that is something GDPR clearly has changed in my opinion. Right. And how are you protecting your uh, customer base in terms of if there is any data breach which happened with their accounts in another platform? Is there any measures that you are taking to protect their free now account? Yeah, sure. We do. We do a lot of uh, protections. I think MFA, the multi-factor authentication, was one prominent part. But actually, it turned out that depending on the second factor that you are using, MFA may not solve everything and is only one additional step. Therefore, we also needed to take additional steps to discover compromised mailboxes, which are totally out of our control. Nevertheless, users are known to use the same credentials on different platforms. And if they use one credential for their mailbox, one credential for other third-party services like LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever, and then the same credential also with our app, and one of the services has a leak, let's say LinkedIn has a data leak, then suddenly all of the services are affected. Right. Therefore, we also need to check on these kind of leak credentials and help to protect the people by saying, okay, we know that your mailbox is likely uh, compromised, so we don't do MFA by email, but only by SMS. And therefore, we also build up a service internally to capture all these kind of data leaks and prevent that people actually even choose the same password on our app, where we already know that this combination of username and password was leaked elsewhere. Right. So um, 
the number of people who rely on weak passwords, such as password one, two, three, four, five, whatsoever, has long been worrisome. So it's no surprise that stolen credentials are one of the most common cases of data breaches. How important is the multi-factor authentication? Does a multi-factor authentication with a weak password provides more security than one-factor authentication with a more complex password? So what is the real impact of this additional factor in authentication? MFA is important, but the security pretty much depends on the second factor, which is used here together with the password. The password itself still should be strong enough. And depending on the security of the MFA, which varies, if we do use SMS, email, an app pop-up, uh, whatever, a hardware token, then we do have different levels here. Depending on the security level there, the password could be weaker. And if we look at the industry, then we see a strong movement into the direction of passwordless authentication, which is not MF to be confused with MFA because passwordless authentication basically only uses this word we are using as second factor in MFA like a hardware token or an app notification or whatever. So we can clearly see that the importance of password is decreasing and people go into the direction of avoiding them in the first place, which I would not necessarily like to choose. Even a weak password there is still better than nothing. But I think it is really that the security is now more relying on the second factor. So weak password is still weak password with MFA is better than just a strong password. Yeah, so MFA, basically, it's it's making it harder for attackers to bypass and the additional layers of security. Um, talking about uh, using mobile phones, SMS or apps as a multi-factor authentication, smartphone vendors are now pushing wireless carriers to replace removable SIM cards with uh, embedded chips that tie the subscriber identity module to the device. So iPhone 14 Pro, for example, now in the USA supports a SIM card only, so they don't have a, a physical SIM card slot. And this is likely to be followed by other vendors too. Could the eSIM technology make our smartphones less secure and compromise our privacy or actually improve it? So let us shed some light on this topic. Uh, I would, again, like uh, initially said, is security easier or harder? I think it pretty much also applied to this one here because it's just a different move. But I do not see any increase or decrease in security here because we do have the issue of potential SIM hijacking also with physical cards. And the way that the SIM hijacking works is that we try to convince the operator, hey, I have lost my SIM card, please send a new one to this different address, for example. So thereby they, they gain access to the service using the phone number. And this kind of attack is also possible with the eSIM. No big difference there. Right. The question is, is it easier to push a profile to a new device rather than inserting a new SIM there? It may be one extra step in the hardware, but attacker-wise, I do not necessarily see a big issue there. It all depends on how these credentials are being distributed in the first place. So do we have a secure physical a way to provide the SIM card to the correct owner, or do we have a secure email or whatever electronic way to provide the eSIM profile to the legitimate owner? 
One example could be that we do not share it by email or downloadable in the web, but rather have a QR code printed and mailed to the person, which would still allow the eSIM, but have better control than storing it electronically where it may leak easier. Yeah, so an eSIM gives the user the power to download a profile directly onto their phone. So this means, in theory, that hackers might be able to push a new profile onto someone else's device and take control uh, of it eventually. How did GSMA respond to this problem? Well, GSMA had the idea of having a central third-party server which gets notified whenever a new profile is being rolled out on a device and then some operator needs to confirm it. Whether that really solves the problem is, in my opinion, at least highly questionable because that third party and the operator still does not know whether the provisioning of the profile to a new device is correct or not. And then we only shift this kinds of responsibility to someone else who has more or less the same knowledge or not knowledge like your mobile provider, where they get approached by the attacker impersonating the real person and saying, hey, yes, I am that person. And if the same person can convince that operator, then you do not gain any real benefit out of it. So the danger is still there because Mm -hmm. it's always about convincing the other party that I am the legitimate owner, even though I'm not. So it sounds like just a matter of putting people at ease and we don't really know whether it will actually improve or decrease the the security of our mobile phones. That's what I think, yes. It won't change much because the risks at least are the same. We always have the risk that the SIM is going to somewhere else. And therefore, I would also highly suggest to avoid MFA using SMS, which is also the way that we see, for example, in the financial business where the bankings and so on initially did SMS and now all went and using their own app with push notification, which is independent from the SIM. Um, You are working at a company which has different locations in Europe and the UK. So what is the biggest challenge of managing information security in a geographically dispersed company? Um... If we talk about that business, I think we first need to have a look at what is a distributed company, even if we are looking inside the same country, because as soon as you deal with different locations, then you always have the problem that satellite locations may not know what's going on in the HQ. And that's not just about InfoSec, but about everything else. So having all of the different offices in touch each other and working the same way is I think the hardest way. And that is independent, whether it is different offices in the same country or different different offices in different countries. If we talk about different countries, then of course we have additionally the challenge of having different laws in place. We are operating in Europe. So most of the laws are more or less the same, but we also operate in areas where we rely on certain licensing. If we rely on license getting from an authority, then the authority requirements are very much different in the different countries because they are not regulated by a common law. They are local and depending on the authorities and they do have different information security requirements. As a company dealing with all of the different uh, countries, you have to fulfill all of the different requirements. Luckily enough, if you do have a real good security posture in place uh, before dealing with that problem, then it is not really a problem anymore because 
you can fulfill those requirements, which is the position that we are in. So that's lucky for us. Frank, you've been working for a long time in product and microservice security. You are now managing security in an ecosystem which is highly interconnected. If any part of this ecosystem is attacked, other parties are obviously at risk too, making the whole ecosystem as strong as its weakest link. How do you keep up with fast-paced digital transformation and uh, hyper-connectivity and automation of mobility? I think it goes also back to the um, initial statement where I say it is getting more and more professional in the security area in general. So therefore, I think we need to catch up with the different involvement by also having a framework in place, which can quickly adapt to all of these situations. So we need to do proper risk management. We do need to do proper vendor management. We do need to be awareness training and so on. Everything which is already existent in the um, overall security framework. But I think the biggest advantage is having the company culture in a way that they do not think of security as an extra part, but that they live security like their daily living. It is not something extra. It is something they regularly care of. And I'm glad to see that this uh, we are moving into that direction because we are getting involved directly from people working on a new project. We are seeing that everyone in the company takes care about security, which is something I have not seen in a lot of other companies. And it's also something I've not seen years back. So we are evolving here and moving into the correct direction. And I think that's also one of the important parts in the company is important to get motivated people on board. And if you do have a motivated person, then we can see, okay, we can really make a big difference because they have a strong influence on all of the others. So if you have one person in the team who takes care of security, they will convince the others to do the same. Yeah, we've got to be resilient. Yeah, definitely. So what most people don't understand is that cyber resilience isn't just about cybersecurity. It's about business continuity in case of cyber incident in an increasingly digital or hybrid business environment where data and connected ecosystems play a crucial role. And there we come also back to your previous question regarding the different countries. I wouldn't always say it is a disadvantage of having the different locations. For us, for example, it is also an advantage because it does not matter if one location, even if our headquarter would go offline, it will not affect our services. We have a big advantage of having a much higher availability by having these kind of distributed setup. So, Wolfgang, thank you so much for joining me today in this episode. It was an absolute pleasure. And I think we managed to share some interesting insights on cybersecurity for mobility sector. Thank you, Ijona. Thanks for listening to Cyberstar Talks podcast and see you in the next episode. Thank you.